You're listening to Morning Short, the podcast that brings you one great short story every morning. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any podcast app. Today's story is If I Were a Man. Morning Short survives on the generosity of listeners like you, who share our stories with their friends and family and rate us five stars on iTunes. To get your personal invitation link, go to share.morningshort.com. And now to the story. Molly was true to type. She was a beautiful instance of what is reverentially called a true woman. Little, of course. No true woman may be big. Pretty, of course. No true woman could possibly be plain. Whimsical, capricious, charming, changeable, devoted to pretty clothes and always wearing them well, as the esoteric phrase has it. This does not refer to the clothes they do not wear well in the least, but to some special grace of putting them on and carrying them about, granted to but few, it appears. She was also a loving wife and a devoted mother, possessed of the social gift and the love of society that goes with it, and with all these was fond and proud of her home and managed it as capably as, well, as most women do. If ever there was a true woman, it was Molly Mathewson, yet she was wishing heart and soul she was a man, and all of a sudden she was. She was Gerald, walking down the path so erect and square-shouldered, in a hurry for his morning train, as usual, and it must be confessed in something of a temper. A man, really a man, with only enough subconscious memory of herself remaining to make her recognize the differences. At first there was a funny sense of size and weight and extra thickness. The feet and hands seemed strangely large, and her long, straight, free legs swung forward at a gait that made her feel as if on stilts. This presently passed, and in its place, growing all day, wherever she went, came a new and delightful feeling of being the right size. Everything fitted now, her back snugly against the seat back, her feet comfortably on the floor, her feet, his feet. She studied them carefully. Never before since her early school days had she felt such freedom and comfort as to feet. They were firm and solid on the ground when she walked, quick, springy, safe, as when moved by an unrecognizable impulse she had run after, caught, and swung aboard the car. Another impulse fished in a convenient pocket for change, instantly, automatically, bringing forth a nickel for the conductor and a penny for the newsboy. These pockets came as a revelation. Of course, she had known they were there, had counted them, made fun of them, mended them, even envied them, but she never had dreamed of how it felt to have pockets. Behind her newspaper she let her consciousness, that odd mingled consciousness, rove from pocket to pocket, realizing the armored assurance of having all those things at hand, instantly get outable, ready to meet emergencies. The cigar case gave her a warm feeling of comfort. It was full. The firmly held fountain pen, safe unless she stood on her head. The keys, pencils, letters, documents, notebook, checkbook, bill folder. All at once, with a deep, rushing sense of power and pride, she felt what she had never felt before in all her life. The possession of money, of her own earned money, hers to give or to withhold, not to beg for, tease for, wheedle for, hers. When he took his train, his seat in the smoking car, she had a new surprise. 
All about him were the other men, commuters too, and many of them friends of his. To her they would have been distinguished as Mary Wade's husband, the man Bell Grant is engaged to, that rich Mr. Shopworth, or that pleasant Mr. Beale, and they would all have lifted their hats to her, bowed, made polite conversation if near enough, especially Mr. Beale. Now came the feeling of open-eyed acquaintance, of knowing men as they were. The mere amount of this knowledge was a surprise to her, the whole background of talk from boyhood up, the gossip of barber shop and club, the conversation of morning and evening hours on trains, the knowledge of political affiliation, of business standing and prospects, of character, in a light she had never known before. They came and talked to Gerald, one and another. He seemed quite popular. And as they talked, with this new memory and new understanding, an understanding which seemed to include all these men's minds, there poured in on the submerged consciousness beneath a new, a startling knowledge, what men really think of women. Good, average American men were there, married men for the most part, and happy, as happiness goes in general. In the minds of each and all there seemed to be a two-story department, quite apart from the rest of their ideas, a separate place where they kept their thoughts and feelings about women. In the upper half were the tenderest emotions, the most exquisite ideals, the sweetest memories, all lovely sentiments as to home and mother, all delicate admiring adjectives, a sort of sanctuary where a veiled statue, blindly adored, shared place with beloved yet commonplace experiences. In the lower half, here that buried consciousness woke to keen distress, they kept quite another assortment of ideas. Here, even in this clean-minded husband of hers, was the memory of stories told at men's dinners, of worse ones overheard in street or car, of base traditions, coarse epithets, gross experiences, known though not shared. And all these in the department, woman, while in the rest of the mind, here was new knowledge indeed. The world opened before her, not the world she had been reared in, where home had covered all the map, almost, and the rest had been foreign or unexplored country, but the world as it was, man's world, as made, lived in, and seen by men. It was dizzying to see the houses that fled so fast across the car window in terms of builders' bills or of some technical insight into materials and methods, to see a passing village with lamentable knowledge of who owned it and of how its boss was rapidly aspiring in state power, or of how that kind of paving was a failure, to see shops not as mere exhibitions of desirable objects, but as business ventures, many were sinking ships, some promising a profitable voyage. This new world bewildered her. She, as Gerald, had already forgotten about that bill over which she, as Molly, was still crying at home. Gerald was talking business with this man, talking politics with that, and now sympathizing with the carefully withheld troubles of a neighbor. Molly had always sympathized with the neighbor's wife before. She began to struggle violently with this large, dominant, masculine consciousness. She remembered with sudden clearness things she had read, lectures she had heard, and resented with increasing intensity this serene, masculine preoccupation with the male point of view. Mr. Miles, the little fussy man who lived on the other side of the street, was talking now. 
He had a large, complacent wife. Molly had never liked her much, but had always thought him rather nice. He was so punctilious in small courtesies. And here he was talking to Gerald. Such talk. Had to come in here, he said. Gave my seat to a dame who was bound to have it. There's nothing they won't get when they make up their minds to it, eh? No fear, said the big man in the next seat. They haven't much mind to make up, you know, and if they do, they'll change it. The real danger, began the Reverend Alfred Smythe, the new Episcopal clergyman, a thin, nervous, tall man with a face several centuries behind the times, is that they will overstep the limits of their God-appointed sphere. Their natural limits ought to hold them, I think, said cheerful Dr. Jones. You can't get around physiology, I tell you. I've never seen any limits myself, not to what they want, anyhow, said Mr. Miles. Merely a rich husband and a fine house and no end of bonnets and dresses and the latest thing in motors and a few diamonds and so on keeps us pretty busy. There was a tired gray man across the aisle. He had a very nice wife, always beautifully dressed, and three unmarried daughters, also beautifully dressed. Molly knew them. She knew he worked hard, too, and she looked at him now a little anxiously, but she smiled cheerfully. "'Do you good, Miles,' he said. "'What else would a man work for? A good woman is about the best thing on earth.' "'And a bad one's the worst, that's sure,' responded Miles. "'She's a pretty weak sister viewed professionally,' Dr. Jones averred with solemnity, and the Reverend Alfred Smythe added, "'She brought evil into the world.' Gerald Mathewson sat up straight. Something was stirring in him which he did not recognize, yet could not resist. "'Seems to me we all talk like Noah,' he suggested dryly, "'or the ancient Hindu scriptures. "'Women have their limitations, but so do we, God knows.' Haven't we known girls in school and college just as smart as we were? They cannot play our games, coldly replied the clergyman. Gerald measured his meager proportions with a practiced eye. I was never particularly good at football myself, he modestly admitted, but I've known women who could outlast a man in all-round endurance. Besides, life isn't spent in athletics. This was sadly true. They all looked down the aisle where a heavy, ill-dressed man with a bad complexion sat alone. He had held the top of the columns once, with headlines and photographs. Now he earned less than any of them. Yes, we blame them for grafting on us, but are we willing to let our wives work? We are not. It hurts our pride, that's all. We are always criticizing them for making mercenary marriages, but what do we call a girl who marries a chump with no money? Just a poor fool, that's all and they know it. As for Mother Eve, I wasn't there and can't deny the story, but I will say this. If she brought evil into the world, we men have had the lion's share of keeping it going ever since. How about that? They drew into the city, and all day long in his business, Gerald was vaguely conscious of new views, strange feelings, and the submerged Molly learned and learned. If you enjoyed this story, share Morning Short with your friends, your co-workers, your barista, that guy next to you at the gym, and that girl across from you on the train. Use your personal invitation link from share.morningshort.com, and you can earn amazing Morning Short swag. If you're listening on iTunes, please rate us five stars. It only takes a minute, but it really helps us to continue to make these.